how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode is brought to you by IronJohnGear.com. In between your creative pursuits, make sure to check out Iron John Gear for top apparel, footwear, fitness items, outdoor supplies, sports gear, and much more. Visit the website for top deals on things like lanterns, backpacks, tents, snow clothing, bomber hats, sunglasses, fishing gear, and more. Visit ironjohngear.com today and save money on your next adventure. In addition to Iron John Gear, make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. In this interview, screenwriter Andrew Bergman talks about how Blazing Saddles got made and what led to his Criterion Collection film, The Unlaws. Bergman describes working with iconic director Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor, along with what happened when Marlon Brando called him about a bizarre idea that involved a Michael Jackson movie directed by Martin Scorsese. The movie obviously never got made. Make sure to also check out our print interview with Mel Brooks over at creativeprinciples.live. What led me into screenwriting? Uh-huh. Um, unemployment. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I was a writer. I've been writing ever since I was like a little boy. And originally uh -huh. I, I got into, um, so that was my natural uh, want was to write. Uh, then I got a Ph.D. in American history. Could not get a teaching job. My Ph.D. dissertation was on American movies of the 30s. Uh, it's actually still in print. It's a book called We're in the Money. And after that, I couldn't get a teaching job um, because this was post-Vietnam and like 10 million people had PhDs. So mm -hmm. it was a glut. We were a glut on the market. So I said, you know, I really like the, 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 the movie part better than the history part. So I wrote uh, a treatment about a black sheriff in the Old West, and lo and behold, uh, a year later, we got sold to Warner Brothers, and I wrote a first draft of what became uh, Blazing Saddles. So that's 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 what started things off. Where did that idea kind of come from? I just had a vision for a couple of years of a of a town waiting for a sheriff to arrive, and in on horseback looks a guy comes in, uh, someone who looks and talks like A. Trap Brown or Stokely Carmichael. <laughs> Uh, right. And that was it. I just had that image, that image, and that's that's where it all sprang from. How did um, you get connected with Mel Brooks on that project? 
Well, I wrote a I wrote a first draft um, called Tex X. Uh, Alan Arkin was hired to direct it, and James L. Jones was going to play the sheriff. Um, that fell apart for you know whatever reason things fall apart. And they started looking for another director. And they called me, would you, how would you feel about Mel Brooks? I said, listen, you know, I was 26 years old. I said, I love, I love Mel Brooks. I mean, I'm, I, I, the 2,000-year-old man was, was like my Bible. Uh, uh-huh. And he said, he's, you know, we, we sparked. He said, we, I love this idea. I want to use it as a launching pad to do a, a movie about Westerns. I said, you know, let's do it. Let's, 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 let's cook. So what was it like after that first draft, like in the writer's room? Were you all writing together, and what was yes. that? Yes. At like? one point, at the beginning, we had five people. Then one guy left after a couple of weeks. Um, and then it was basically me and, and Mel and Richie Pryor and Norman Steinberg. And then Richie left after the first draft. And then Norman and Mel and I wrote, you know, the next, whatever, three or four or five drafts. Mm-hmm. What it was, was like a, it was a riot a riotous room. <laughs> uh-huh. What kind of timeline was that for the in the in writing and everything? I think we started I saw it in seventy one. I wrote a first draft in seventy two. Bill came aboard a couple of months in seventy two and then, then Richie left and then we kept writing into '73 when we went into pre-production. I'd say, you know, from 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 the time I sold the original idea to Warner Brothers, which was uh, May of '71, mm-hmm. to the movie being released, which was February in '74. Mm-hmm. All things all things considered, was pretty fast, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it taught me nothing about the business, obviously. <laughs> Right. What was it like um, after that, in between Blazing Saddles, and then what led to the in-laws? What led to the in-laws is I wrote a script after Blazing Saddles called Rhapsody in Crime, mm-hmm. which was going to be sort of a Blazing Saddles, but of, of of gangster movies. It was sort of all the 30s gangster movies thrown into one. It was about a great uh, a guy who's both a stupendous concert pianist and a, a, a gangster, you know, sort of like John Garfield, uh, Cagney, all rolled into one. And it ended with this big shootout on the roof of Carnegie Hall. It was really very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sold it to Warner Brothers for a, a, a ton of money in, in 75. And there was no real producer attached, and, and I really didn't. I didn't know anything about being a producer. So it sort of kicked around. Uh, and Warner Brothers... Callie left, and then David Geffen took over, and then a guy named Marty Elfand. And Marty Elfand came up and said, well, listen, I have a bad news, uh, good news phone call. The bad news is I'm not going to make Rhapsody in Crime. The good news I want you to do write a sequel to Freebie and the Bean. Mm-hmm. I said, that's the good news? <laughs> I don't want to write a sequel to Freebie. He said, how about this? How about I just, we, have, we have Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin wants to do a movie with Peter Falk. Uh-huh. I said, "What about?" He said, D, "That's your department. Figure out what it's about." <laughs> and Alan, Alan was the Alan was the executive producer. So Alan and I just started meeting and talking about what could this be? Because the minute I heard that idea about Fork and Arkin, I thought, "Didn't they make a movie together?" They seemed like such 
an obvious pairing. You know, there was such right. opposites. I mean, Alan is, is is so high strung, and Peter is so like no strung that it seemed to be if you could just do a movie where you could have sort of um, you know Peter just eating into Alan for two hours, it was it would it would it would work. And the and first we thought it'd be a detective movie, and that's that's no good. It had to be something where they would be really forced together. And it was one of those middle-of-the-night things. I said, they're in-laws. They're stuck together. And I called Alan the next morning. He said, that's it. That was it. And I just went off and started writing. It just it took care of everything. It took care of the fact that they, were, that they were, had to be together because they were the, the kids were getting married just took, took care of everything. Mm-hmm. Where does your style of comedy come from? Do you have, like, influences, or where does, where does that material come from for you? There's a lot of influences. Um, when I was a, a kid, I loved Gene Shepard, who told these incredible, fabulistic stories about um, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And there was a narrative style of that I loved. But in terms of direct comedic influences, one, strange enough, was Victor Borger, because my father wrote comedy material for him. My father was a newspaper man. Uh, but he wrote some comedy material on this, and he wrote for Borg, and Borg was, was the first show I ever saw was Victor Borg's one-man show, and it was just, the timing was so spectacular. Mm-hmm. He had, like, the greatest comic timing of anyone. In fact, I was once talking to George Burns about it, and he agreed. He said, except for Jack Benny, Borg had the best timing he'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then Bob and Ray, who I worshipped, I just, I, there was something so humane and anarchic at the same time, mm-hmm. which, which I adore, which is sort of at the key to most of what I've written, which is this sort of essentially good-natured and also insane at the same time. Um, and, and I think Bob and Ray had this great kind of deadpan. They just pulled you into their world, and bit by bit, the assumptions they made, which were absurd, you took for granted. <laughs> so they were a big influence, I would say. Plus, you know, everything I'd seen as a kid, the Marx Brothers, W.C. Fields, uh-huh. Chaplin, uh, Harold Lloyd, those guys were inevitably influenced you. Mm-hmm. So after the initial, like, spark of that idea, um, how involved in the writing and story process was, like, Alan Arkin and, and some of the other eventual cast members? Um, Peter, not at all. Mm-hmm. Peter just loved it. And Alan, I mean... People, everybody just fell in love with the script, like from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't a whole lot of rewriting. I mean, the only the rewriting was sort of around locations, you know. Um, originally, like the uh, the firing squad scene was going to be like indoors in, in like an office or something, and then like, Hiller told me they had, they had found like Cortez's old bullring in Mexico, which was a great location. So we moved it all, you know. It just it opened the scene up enormously, um, but there wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot of, of kibitzing. It wasn't, and, and the executives just. I mean, it wasn't like today. We had like fifty development executives, right, putting in their their half a cent a piece, <laughs> right. You know, it was just go go make the movie. It was a different era, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we did. So did you write the first draft by yourself? Oh yeah, I I wrote every draft by myself. There was, What's there was it no like? Other, there was no writer involved. You know, what's it writer. like uh, writing comedy by yourself? It's great. 
Like, are you laughing <laughs> to yourself in the room, or how does that work? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and to this day, something will hit me because it's there, you know. It just hits me. And if I start laughing, I, 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 at least I know I think it's funny, you know. Uh-huh. But I have to start laughing. And that, that really is like you just start laughing. Now, have you really did Blazing Saddles, it was, you know, three or four of us screaming in the room. It was, it was, <laughs> it was uh, quite something. Mm-hmm. Have you ever written anything that you felt like too absurd, or does it all kind of make its way in there one way or another? Well, sure. You know, you have to give, you, you prune things back. I mean, in, in the in-laws, for instance, that, that, that famous dinner table scene where the the tsetse fly is carrying off children, <laughs> right. uh, which is about eight pages in the script. I think the original draft of that, I went on for like 15 pages. I just couldn't stop. <laughs> I just never wanted that scene to end, you know. Um, what was kind of like, can you touch on some of the rest of your career and, and um, other movies that you really enjoy? I know you did some directing as well later on. Yeah, I love directing. I loved. Uh, I mean, the freshman was 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 an amazingly challenging, terrific uh, thing to do. Um, honeymoon in Vegas was fun. It, it happened to you was a, was a wonderful experience. I mean, they've all been basically positive experiences. I mean, how they turned out is another thing. Some some <laughs> some work, some don't. But but the making of it and the difference between something that works and doesn't work is so narrow. Mm-hmm. It's so unbelievably narrow. Doing something that's a hit and a flop is, is razor thin, which is, you know, the terrifying part of it. It's not like one day from one movie to you know, another you get stupid or smart. You're the same guy, you know. Um, what's something you wish you had known um, maybe before writing The In-Laws or before even Blazing Saddles? Like what's something, a piece of advice you'd like to pass on to upcoming writers? I think... Read it out loud to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, there's gadget on Final Draft where the sort of mechanical Stephen Hawking kind of voice reads, 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 the, uh, reads the script to you, which I actually find very helpful. Because um, <laughs> if something's funny in that voice, I know it's funny. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's really crucial. Or, or, or have it read. Get some friends together and have it read. Because whatever is in your mind, when, when, when you're starting other people do the lines, things change. Mm-hmm. Reality hits very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tricky what you learn. You learn really by doing, and you learn from flops even more than hits sometimes. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I learned nothing from Blazing Saddles. I said, well, this is easy. <laughs> Who says this business is so hard? Um, a director named Howard Zeef once, once said to me something very funny. He said, you know, every movie I make new mistakes. Every Mistakes I never thought, I had never conceived of before. And it's sort of true. If, you, if, you're, if you're, unless you just keep repeating yourself, which is a, a, a disaster. Mm-hmm. If you're trying something new every time, you're, go, you're going to screw things up. Because you just, you just don't know till you're out there. You don't know till, till you hear the things being spoken, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you put it together, it's a very mysterious process. You know, it's like the first draft, of, the first cut of the freshman mm-hmm. was the worst thing I ever saw. It was just interminable, <laughs> interminable. I said, my God, I'm, I'm, this is it. This is my swan song. 
<laughs> and then we just started cutting and cutting and cutting, and, and, and one day suddenly we ran the whole thing, and mysteriously something had happened. And it was, at least for me, this wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. Is there any specific, like, uh, a minor mistake that you could think of that may have changed some of your writing process or your, even your or your style of storytelling? A minor mistake? Yeah, something that you maybe saw later as a mistake that changed your process? Probably not the process. I, th- I think between The Freshman and Honeymoon in Vegas, I, I, I directed my first movie so fine. I knew nothing about directing. I never even, I, but I had a wonderful time doing it. The mm-hmm. Freshman, I was very, very careful. Um, and I sort of storyboarded everything, and I really had an, an idea, but I was still basically like illustrating the script. You know, I was, I was directing like a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. With Honeymoon in Vegas, I actually wrote the script as a director. Mm-hmm. That is, I was thinking about the locations before I even thought about the dialogue. Right. You know, there was like a scene when um, Nicholas Cage and Sarah Parker have this huge fight after he has lost her in this poker game. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's got to be, they're in Vegas. There's going to be, there's a ring set up in like a ballroom where two guys are training for a fight. And that's mm-hmm. going to be the scene, and it's going to start with that fight. And I, I, I knew it from the from the beginning. Before I wrote a word of it, you know, that the rhythm of those guys smashing each other in the ring was going to be echoed by their own argument as they're circling the ring. But that was the change. And, and from then on, I really thought of that more the scene, the, the mise en scene more than than the dialogue. The dialogue I knew. I never had a problem with dialogue. Dialogue I figured for better or for worse, I'm always going to have dialogue. That's so going to be good. So do you outline your stories before you start, or what's your never? Problem? How do you kind I mean, of? I really, I just, I mean, I mean, look, the in-laws were like a shaggy dog story. I didn't know from one day to the next what was going to happen, which I think was part of the charm of the movie, mm-hmm. and somehow it pulled together at, at the end. Uh, it's definitely got a nice, yeah, it's got a nice rise to the whole film, even with the jokes and everything. It kind of just follows all the way through. It does, and it's, it's, it, believe me, there was nothing outlined, you know. <laughs> It's just sort of the way I work. It's sort of, you know, you jump out of the plane and hope the parachute works. <laughs> but I, I, I don't have it all, I never have it all planned out. I just, I just, my mind doesn't work the way I'm too ADD or something. I just, I don't, I want to be surprised. If I'm not surprised, how the hell is the audience going to be surprised? All right. Um, you mentioned the freshman. I read that Marlon Brando used to, uh, I kind of repeat the Alan Arkin role from the in-laws. Have you ever heard that story? Maybe that's part of the reason I know he loved the movie. That's how I, that's how I got into contact with him. He <laughs> called me out of the blue. At first, I thought it must be a practical joke. <laughs> Some guy used to say, hold on to this from Marlon Brandon. He starts talking about the in-laws. Uh, he, he was a total in-laws freak. Which what was, was that, really, yeah, what was was, that conversation it, like? It was, it was bizarre. Ultimately, it was about he, he, he wanted to do a movie with Michael Jackson that Scorsese was going to direct about God and the devil, and and would I consider writing it? And was it, from the minute I heard the idea, I knew this was never going to happen. But I <laughs> I knew that he knew me, right. you know. And 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 when we started putting the freshman together, we said, you know, what's the worst thing that happens? He says, no, you know. Huh. Was that uh, that idea, the other idea of the Scorsese, meant to be a comedy or a drama or? God knows. 
<laughs> I can't imagine it would have been any good if it right. never happened. It right. just seemed like such a bizarro idea. Um, but that's how he knew it, that that he knew of, of my work. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations about the Criterion Collection. What yeah, I think it's great. Like? I'm 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 so tickled about that. You're up there with you some know, of the greats, definitely. Um, what, what's it been yeah. like? Like, what's that process like for you? This pro- the, 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 which process are we talking about? This the uh, the, the criterion and oh, it's like, just lovely. It's like it's like getting an award you didn't even know you were up for. You know, <laughs> right. I just got this. I said this is wonderful. You know, what I mean, it was like you know, smiles of a summer night and and La Ventura and and all those wonderful things. You know, four hundred blows, all these classics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice that they consider comedy. Mm-hmm. Are you still comedy? Uh, comedy to me really endures as more than anything. It, does. it just does. Yeah. It just it, it 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 collapses time. Things that are funny, you know, it, it, there are very few dramas of the '30s, and there they certainly are some mm-hmm. that hold up as well as as a comedy. Right. I mean, comedy, laughing is 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 in a way the most truthful. You can't fake that. You know, mm-hmm. you can't manipulate it. You know, it, it's either something's funny or it's not. And usually it's because it's the truth, you know. Right. It's the yeah. Elemental human truth in comedy. Um, and the reason that people come screenwriters or writers in general is to cheat death, you know. <laughs> you know, I'll kick the bucket, but, these, you know, Groucho Marx is dead, whatever, 50 years. He's, a, he's more alive than a lot of other people, you know. Right. Yeah. So that's. So this only sort of confirms that, you know, when you say, well, this is, we're now in, in, in this pantheon. It's lovely. It really is. It's just really very satisfying. Well, thank you so much for your time. Well, is there anything you. else you'd like yeah. to add about the film or anything No, else? no. I think, listen, I'm, I'm, the film has always had a really loyal, I can't tell you how many people have told me that it's the movie they watched with their family the night before they got married. <laughs> Which is the most? <laughs> it's very heartwarming. <laughs> I love. I love hearing that. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset; step two, how to create a killer profile; and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.